Thanks so much for your company. Let's now look at our stories. And the International Monetary Fund has released the much-anticipated $600 million second tranche to Ghana. This was announced at a joint press conference between the IMF and the Ministry of Finance last night. Now, the second tranche of the money has delayed because government initially was unable to reach a debt restructuring agreement with its official creditors. But after a successful assessment, the IMF mission chief for Ghana, Stefan Rodé, says they are impressed with Ghana's performance so far. We have some excellent news to discuss with the completion by our executive board this morning of the first review under Ghana's three-year, $3 billion program. This allows for an immediate disbursement of about $600 million, bringing the total disbursements since the program was approved in May last year to close to $1.2 billion. In 2022, on the back of unfavorable global conditions, Ghana faced a severe economic and financial crisis with an unsustainable debt burden. In response to these difficult circumstances, the Ghanaian authorities have been implementing a comprehensive reform program aimed at restoring macroeconomic stability and debt sustainability and laying the foundations for stronger and more inclusive growth. Let me mention some of the reforms. To bring public finances back to a sustainable track, the government accelerated fiscal adjustment in 2023 and recently enacted a 2024 budget and revenue reforms that will further advance adjustment in the fiscal position. Budget sustainability has been achieved by mobilizing domestic revenue and by improving the efficiency of public spending. Importantly, the program includes and will continue to include efforts to protect the vulnerable. For example, the 2024 budget has continued to increase benefits under the existing targeted cash transfer program, the Living Empowerment Against Poverty program, the LEAP. And it also boosted allocations toward the school feeding program. To support adjustments and enhance the resilience to shocks, ambitious structural reforms are being implemented in the areas of tax policy, revenue administration, public financial management, as well as to address weaknesses in the energy and the cocoa sectors. To restore, public to restore public debt sustainability, the government has also made significant progress on its comprehensive debt restructuring. The domestic debt exchange was completed over the summer, and an agreement in principle was recently struck between the government and its official bilateral creditors. Ghana's performance under the program has been compelling, both in terms of meeting the quantitative objectives, for example, on budgetary performance, but also in implementing transformational reforms to make the economy more resilient. Importantly, despite the difficult global economic setting, the authorities' reforms are bearing fruit and signs of stabilization are emerging. Growth has proven more resilient than initially envisaged, and indeed we are revising our growth projection for 2023 from 1.5 to 2.3%. Inflation is declining rapidly. The fiscal and external positions have improved. Bank of Ghana's international reserves have been increasing, and exchange rate volatility has decreased. Notwithstanding the progress made in recent months, the road to full stabilization and recovery will be gradual. Addressing remain, remaining challenges will require determination and steadfast policy reform and, and reform implementation. But today's news marks an important milestone in the road to recovery and towards building a flourishing economy that will benefit every Ghanaian. 
Now, speaking at the news conference, Finance Minister Ken Ufuriata assured of Ghana's commitment to seeing the successful implementation of the program, addressing concerns over government's growing borrowing from the Treasury market. He says government will measure its expenditure to enable it to slow down on the T-bills. It is with great honor that I can announce to you that earlier today, the International Monetary Fund endorsed the first review of our program. This is a resounding affirmation the program is advancing steadily and our reform trajectory remains steadfast. Consequently, the endorsement has unlocked a 600 million US dollar disbursement from the IMF and will pave the way for an additional 300 million disbursement from the World Bank under the Development Policy Operation Financing. The World Bank will meet on January, on Tuesday, January 23rd. In addition, we expect the World Bank to approve $250 million to support the Ghana Financial Stability Fund. These resources in total of $1.15 billion will significantly bolster our economic recovery efforts. The government is committed to fully implementing the IMF-supported PCPEG, and we have put in place all the necessary implementation arrangements to make sure the program does not derail so we can fully achieve our intended objectives. Away from the IMF and its related stories, the Central Regional House of Chiefs has affirmed its support for the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources for lithium mining within the region. This decision dispels rumors that the chiefs were opposed to granting access for lithium mining to Barari DV Limited, a subsidiary of Atlantic Lithium. Now, this was after the ministry paid a curtsy call on the Central Regional House of Chiefs to give details of the lithium discovery. Here is Helena Kai Ayi's report. The lithium discovery in Iwoya and other communities in the Fantsman municipality of the Central Region has attracted a lot of attention. The Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources paid a curtsy call on the Central Regional House of Chiefs to begin a formal engagement with them and also seek their support. Deputy Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, George Mirkuduka, says contrary to speculations that the traditional leaders in the region were not in support of the agreement, the Regional House of Chiefs has affirmed their support. But you all witnessed how enthusiastic they were and how happy they were after running them through the nitty-gritties of what is going to happen. So I'm, I'm excited and I believe government will continue the engagements. Uh, yes, uh, it's better we also go to the communities and engage them. Uh, if they get to understand, there wouldn't be any hullabaloo uh, around. So uh, I think henceforth nobody could come around to say that uh, the chiefs are not in support. The chiefs unanimously agreed and accepted that yes they are in support of the lithium agreement and for that matter the production of lithium so uh, it was a, an exciting moment so currently there's no obstacle in your way sir not at all i don't see any obstacle uh, what i see is deepening the engagement and making sure that we make each aspect of the transition very transparent for nananum also to be informed that's all that we need to do. Honorable, so the other processes that are left, i.e. the ratification and EPA, what timeline should be? If Nananum 
the custodians of the land are saying yes we welcome the idea we welcome the agreement we welcome lithium atlantic and we want our our, our people to have jobs we want the prospects in terms of the one percent which was well explained to them i mean parliament yes they will go through the 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 rudiments and make sure the writings are done but i believe uh, as you, you see in the agreement we do we have nothing to hide and i'm a parliamentarian i believe uh, it will pass through it will pass through in terms of ratification so yes it must as uh, enshrined in the constitution it must go through parliament for ratification so yes it will and i believe it will be passed president of the central regional house of chiefs but therefore, Amuakwa Buedu the eighth intimated how blessed the region is, and they are hoping to take advantage of the arrangements. As the regional house of chiefs, we want to take advantage of this opportunity. We are not going to wait for lithium prices to come so low before we take a decision. We must take a decision and take it timely. So we have decided to take advantage, mind it for the benefit of our people. As human as we are, we may not have it perfect. It is new. And for every new thing, there will be challenges. We think we can address the challenges and the benefits as we see now is worth pursuing and we shall pursue for the benefit of our people. CSOs have been raising concerns. Other people who are experts in this have raised concerns. You did not consult with them just in a meeting you agreed. Is that okay, sir? Yes. CSOs they have the reasons why they are saying that. We have been engaged by the ministry. We have been engaged by the Lands Commission. They have explained everything to us. The price of lithium used to be 8,000. Now it's it, it was 2,000 and now today it is 1,000. Do we have to wait for it to be 200 or 100 before we take a decision? And if we are taking the decision maybe a year earlier, could we have benefited from the high prices? We must take a decision. It will not be perfect, but it is far better than the contracts or the um, agreement that we have now. Central Regional Minister Justin Amari Gorasan thanked the Ministry and the Regional House of Chiefs for a successful deliberation. She hoped that the misinformation by a section of the Ghanaian society about the lithium find would stop. The Deputy Minister for Lands and Natural Resources says the mining of the lithium is safe and arrangements are being made to ensure that the environment is not badly affected. Helen Nakai Ayes report for Joy News. Now, the Church of Pentecost is urging Christians occupying chieftaincy positions in the country to leverage their influence for the advancement of development in their respective areas. Two years ago, the church set up a chieftaincy ministry with the aim of guiding its members while of royal descent to govern their traditional areas in alignment with kingdom values and principles. National Chieftaincy Coordinator of the Church of Pentecost, Apostle Vincent Anani Dante, has been speaking at a seminar on Christianity and Chieftaincy in Cape Coast. There is more in this report. The seminar, organized by the Church of Pentecost, sought to help its members who are royals to exhibit the values the church gives them on a daily basis and make them count on their duties as traditional authorities. National Chieftaincy Coordinator of the Church of Pentecost, Apostle Vincent Ananedente says the Church of Pentecost is hoping to change the narrative by impacting on their members who are royals. The Church of Pentecost, under the leadership of Apostle Eric Nyameche, has established a chieftaincy ministry that is in the year 2021. And since then we have been 
going around organizing seminars for Christian royals. The idea is to ensure that Christian royals or Christians who are royals are accepted as traditional uh, leaders so that when it comes to the person to mount the throne, uh, one will not come to dispute the fact that he can't ascend the throne just because he's a Christian. So, but by so doing, what exactly do we expect from them? That is to rule as a Christian royal implies that he, the person rules with kingdom values and principles so that he ensures that whatever that is a desire of God is also brought to bear as far as his or her leadership, a traditional leadership is concerned. Some of the traditional leaders who are members of the Church of Pentecost spoke to join us after the seminar. See, culture is dynamic. It is not static. Like I, I set example of in the past, when the chief dies, has to be accompanied with another human being. Today, uh, because of dynamism of culture, it is no longer there. But I think anything that will not, I mean, uh, serve as trampling upon fundamental human rights of another human being, I think that one I don't see it to be what. So, but yes, when Nanum and religious leaders, Asofo in particular, collaborate with the Nanum, it will help our communities and Ghana as a whole to get all the blessings that is installed for us by God. Education Minister Dr. Yao Seidichum says no educational project has been abandoned, but are rather undergoing improvements to make them operational. According to him, uh, facilities like the e-blocks and day secondary schools started by the Muhammad administration lack installations and educational accessories to make them sustainable and operational. As a solution, the minister has announced plans to provide dormitories for e-blocks and day schools constructed in challenging locations. Here's a report by Clinton Yabwa. There have been several calls for the government to commit to the completion of projects in several sectors of the economy. In the education sector, some e-blocks under the Community Day Schools project by the NDC government have been left unattended. Minister of Education Dr. Yao Osei Aduchum, however, says some of these projects are in locations inaccessible to targeted beneficiaries. He is therefore assuring of adding housing facilities to convert them into boarding schools. When you put the e-block in the middle of nowhere, in the jungle somewhere. If you don't add a dormitory block, you can't open. Because students don't live in the jungle. Some are six miles away from the nearest village. So what we have done is to add dormitory blocks so that we can operationalize the e-blocks. So if you look at Dancia Peja, we've now opened. Uh, I'm told we have about 500 students now. And um, it was something that people would say abandoned. But without a dormitory block, we couldn't open. And Sawura, same thing. Now we are getting ready to open Drobonso, same thing. Distant, very distant from the nearest town, with no dormitory, they cannot go to that school as they students. So we are working on them. The minister was on a working visit to some schools in Ejusu and Dabusumtri municipalities. He made stops at the Ejusu Adadientem Church of Pentecost, Ejusu Man Senior High School and Busumtri Girls Stem Senior High School. Dr. Educhum reiterated the government's commitment to improving the education sector. We are advising the students to have a growth mindset, believing in themselves and knowing that everything is possible. 
So when I see the school, I know everything is possible. And I also want to remind them uh, that it was not always like this. At a Jusumayn and Abosumitri girls, I want them to understand that it took somebody's vision. The vision of Nana Dodanko Ekufu that brought us here. A situation where children coming from homes and privileged homes also get opportunity uh, to go to secondary school. With an enrollment of about 830,000 in 2017, now we are at 1.4 million plus. That is a great feat, but it took vision, it took determination uh, of the Ghanaian people supporting the president to make this vision possible. Uh, we are in the process of distributing furniture anyway. Um, schools like Mansell's, um, there's a number, Prince of P, a number of different furniture. So we are going to make sure that latest in the middle of next week, a gentleman will also have a fair share of the furniture distribution that we are currently doing across the country. Headmistress of Ejosu Senior High School, Cassandra Oseiwusu, highlighted the school's challenges and was grateful for the minister's swift intervention. The seniors want to sit on the monodex, while the juniors, they don't want them to sit on. And at times, it brings conflict between the seniors and the juniors. So it's affecting teaching and learning. You said there's a relief following the intervention by the minister. Yes, please. The promise he gave, in which I know he's going to fulfill the promise. And let's now touch on our lead story where it's been seven hours of calm in the Upper East Town, Boku, where gunmen opened fire on a bus carrying students of the Boku nursing tree. Starting is the most important thing. So buy a Peloton bike or Bike Plus today and get two months free Peloton membership. Starting made easy with thousands of classes to choose from. My name is Cody Rigsby. Welcome to your low-impact ride. Taught by instructors that take the guesswork out of working out. I'm here for you every step of the way. And Peloton Entertainment, so you can watch your favorite shows and live sports as you ride. Shop our limited time offers at onepeloton.com deals. Terms apply. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. In college yesterday, one student remains in hospital after sustaining injuries from that attack. Now, it was the latest in the series of hostilities which has left at least five persons dead in the last few days. Joy News understands there have been no gunshots in the last few hours, but residents remain on the edge as threat of attacks remain high. In the last hour, Municipal Chief Executive Amadou Hamza Azanga, who also heads the Municipal Security Council, gave the following update on news analysis show Newsfile. The thing is that we are politicians, and as politicians, there's always the need for us to be decorum. There's a need for us to be exercise some um, civility and also be very mindful of the things that we say on air and also in the media. Um, all of us are putting our heads together to ensure there's lasting peace in Baku. The president, Nana Dudanko Akufado, 
the national security minister, the regional minister and myself, including the member of parliament, we are all putting our hands together to ensure there's peace in Boko. Be that as it may, if things like that come up, we are not part of, we, ha we are not first witnesses of the thing. We start to rely on others for information. I am on the ground. And I always think that there's a need for us to always talk and collaborate. We'll get to ascertain whether or not indeed a particular incident happened or not. Yes, when this happened, I heard a gun shot about two to three hundred meters away from my house. Indeed, the first point I always call is the police divisional commander. And also, I'll follow up a call on the military commander because they are the men on the ground. Right. So you say you are the man who is on the ground. That's very Absolutely. good. And you label this as murder. That's even more serious. So tell us what led to the murder. Look, I, I am using it for people to understand, ordinary members to understand. Good. Now, when I heard these gunshots, it is normal in Boko that hmm. I would always call to find out from this security captain. And it, it took them a few minutes for them to respond back to me. And then the commander of the military on the ground mentioned to me that, in fact, they had an exchange with some boys who, who were around at an year school. I said, what boys? Where are they coming from? It was, at that time, being a stranger, difficult for him to tell me exactly where the boys are coming from. But I said, what happened? And then he told me, yeah, they, they actually fired into them, and they, they also fired back. And because of that, they were able to neutralize them as the term they always use in the military. And so it led to the death of three persons. However, they have called the police to come for them. This is exactly what the military commander has informed me on that Saturday. And so I am reporting to you based on the fact that I gathered from them. In fact, I that, went that, back to the police commander and equally got the same story from the police commander. That, that the, the boys were doing what exactly? They were, according to them, they were firing back at them. I, they saw them and they were firing guns up to the police, to the soldiers. And they exchanged gunshots with them. Yeah, so, so what happened, what led to exchange of gunfire? Something must have happened. What was that? That I can't tell. I wasn't on the ground. And I'm telling you exactly what I was told. Yes, those who are telling you, they don't tell you what led to the exchange of gunfire. You see, in Boku here, what we know is that, and when there are exchange, when there are gunfires around, usually and ordinarily, the two tribes, Mampuishis and the Moshe, eh, Mampuishis and then the Kusasis, would always be at each other. And there are occasions, and many occasions, the military or the police must come in between them to separate the fight. Mm -hmm. And when they come, you cannot come and tell them, leave my gun, put the gun down. No. The only thing they do is to fire gunshots to spare, to disperse either the Mampushis and the Kutasis to run away back home. This is what they do here. Right. So if you come very closer to one of the feuding factions, mm. what the military would do is to engage them. Because if there are gunshots, According to them, we have always asked them and cautioned them to be to be to be mindful of the things that they do. Yes. Yeah, so but over narrative, over over forty eight hours, you still do not know what exactly led to the exchange of gunfire. 
You are the head of the. You are the head of the municipal security. I'm reporting to you. I'm reporting to you based on the information that I gathered. And it is important we have to bring you live update from the area as we speak now. And Albert Soris, a man on the grounds, are joining me via Zoom for more. Albert, thanks so much for joining me on Joining Room. Currently, what's the situation in the municipality? Yeah, so, since uh, last night, we haven't heard of any further disturbances. Uh, from what we are told, um, there was reinforcement. The number of uh, security personnel on the ground was increased um, before a few hours yesterday and so um, because of that uh, it appears you know it, it helped to calm down the situation there were no shootings um, last night as many people uh, anticipated because of the, the happenings um, during the day uh, many people thought that there could be disturbances when it got dark uh, but fortunately uh, that didn't happen this morning we haven't heard of any other uh, disturbances. So, at the moment, uh, things have been calm uh, in the last 12 hours or so. All right. So, in as much as there's been calm in the area, um, what's the situation like? The security situation, I should say, in the municipality. So, it, it appears that the people of Boku have become uh, used to events like this. Um, it happens almost all the time, and so um, once shooting is not ongoing, people just try to go about their normal activities. Uh, but they would be doing so with a lot of caution, with a lot of tension, because at any time, uh, um, you know, guns can be fired, and if you are not careful, you can get caught in the middle of a shooting. As you heard the municipal chief executive say uh, to us yesterday, uh, it has become very unsafe to live in Boko. So, of course, people are doing their normal uh, Saturday activities, but you can virtually feel the tension in the atmosphere, because everyone is on their left in case anything happened. Albert, I'm curious, what is the state of the student who was attacked um, yesterday? Yeah, so this student is a male. Uh, he was shot in the arm and he was uh, taken to the Presley Hospital in Boko. Um, he was immediately attended to in intensive care. And our checks this morning revealed that uh, his injury was quite serious. It was a bullet wound. And so he's still receiving treatment in hospital. Um, the rest of the students, uh, from what we are told, there were 45 students in the past when it was attacked. Um, a number of them um, were also taken to the hospital. They didn't have injuries, so they, they were given a quick medical checkup. And the security helped uh, escort the bus they were traveling in out of the town to where they were going. And so um, the only students you know, who sustained a serious injury is the one we are talking about, and he is still receiving treatment in hospital as we see. Give me a sense of the economic um, activities in, uh, in the municipality as we speak. Yeah, so Boko is, um, is, is one of the busiest towns in the Upper East region. In fact, um, until these recent happenings, uh, it was one of the fastest developing towns. Uh, because uh, it's, it's very close to both the Togo and Burkina Faso. Uh, in fact, we have two or three borders at Polmakom um, and Kulungugu, and also around Monori. So you have borders to Togo and Burkina Faso at all these places. And so because of that, the place is usually busy. People 
um, still want to go about doing their work. But um, because of the recent shootings and all of that, uh, sometimes people even getting ambushed. Um, not long ago, there was a, a bus which was ambushed with women traveling across the border to Senkasi in Togo when their bus was also ambushed and fired. And so because of these things, it is affecting economic activity. People virtually, um, if you like, are sitting ducks because you are traveling in the town and you are not sure when you will get fired at by, by, by someone. And so it is really affecting the economic situation. Apart from that, you have situations where um, you know, government agencies like the Ghana Health Service, the Ghana Education Service, uh, they cannot do their work. Teachers cannot go to school. And because of that, children have to stay at home. Um, you know, it's, it's not teaching and learning is no longer as frequent as it used to be because for safety reasons, people have to stay at home. And so generally every um, sector of the economy is affected by all of this. All right. Thank you very much, Albert Sorry, is a man in the Upper East region, bringing us a speed on the latest situation in that municipality. And of course, we shall follow up on that as and when development unfolds in that part of the country. You're still watching Joy Newsroom here with me, Pius Kojo Baka, and we continue with the rest of our stories. Where some, or we'll go back to the IMF story, where some analysts are saying that well, the impact of the second tranche program will have minimal uh, effect on the consumer. The price or the cost to ordinary Ghanaians, as you have mentioned, and in many cases are poorly reflected in the IMF own assessment of how their program is going. Because if you look at the targets that the IMF is celebrating together with government, it really has no space for this person who is suffering. Typically has no space for the pensioner who picketed or whatever last year and all of that. But that is also consistent with the pathway to restoring macroeconomic stability. The understanding is that when you mess up your economy, as we did, and, and, and there's no dispute about that now, because the IMF report has also confirmed that Ghana's vulnerabilities pre-existed even before, in other words, before COVID. COVID only magnified it and demonstrated how weak, uh, in terms of economic resilience, we, 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 we were in the run-up to COVID and Russia, uh, Ukraine conflict and the rest of it. So that is largely consistent. So, But if you look at, we will say it's also positive news because the country had gotten to eight weeks end. The only way out was to reach out to the IMF. So it will be quite disastrous for Ghana to say that or to receive the news that even under an IMF program, we are not doing well. That, that will just heighten the uncertainty. But to the extent that the delays in the approval of the first review, it should have been done latest by the 1st November mm. 2023. And we, we had to wait all this while. And, and, and 32 million people people also, all that we're doing was to wait for IMF board approval for $600 million. But of course, we also do know that 
with that board approval, it also unlocks other funding from the World Bank. I think about $550 million. Mm. $250 million of that will go to support the setting up of the Financial Stability Fund. And then the $330 million or so, $300 million or so, will go to budgetary support. So that is good news in terms of uh, an, an important um, breakthrough for us. But is that sufficient? Is that enough? And the answer, obviously, is no. Is this manifesting in improved standards of living for the ordinary Ghanaian? Again, the answer is no. Can the ordinary Ghanaian identify with the flamboyant statement of the IMF, the mission chief, about how well the program is doing? The answer is no. The reason is that we are not yet done in terms of the corrective painful adjustment that is earmarked for Ghana under the program in order to restore macroeconomic stability. You're still watching Join Newsroom. Time for a breather. We'll ride back with more. can give a loved one is good health. The Love FM Fitness Walk is the only platform which prevents this exclusive opportunity to walk with your friends, partner, granny, kids, abongo, empna, obia, ukunu, schoolmate, etc. to stay healthy. Banks, insurance companies, construction companies, hospitals, schools, security services. Starting is the most important thing. So buy a Peloton bike or bike plus today and get two months free Peloton membership. Starting made easy with thousands of classes to choose from. My name is Cody Rigsby. Welcome to your low impact ride. Taught by instructors that take the guesswork out of working out. I'm here for you every step of the way. And Peloton Entertainment, so you can watch your favorite shows and live sports as you ride. Shop our limited time offers at onepeloton.com slash deals. Terms apply. This is Vera Fitness Groups. Come and let's sick up the stress. Start looking for your walking kids so and let's hit the streets of Kumasi to de-stress, exercise, and burn some calories. You can also send us a minute video. Shijama Kakra, Yedede Kakra as corporate institutions, groups, or individual declaring your readiness to partake in the walk. Stay with love. 99.5 FM and Ishra 104.5 FM and get more details on the walk or call 0245-594-425 for inquiries. Remember, Fitness Walk is on Saturday, 10 February 2024 at the Kumasi City Mall, 6 a.m. Welcome back to Joy Newsroom, and I would like to take you back to Boku, where the MP for the area, Mahama Yarega, is asking the military team on the grounds to explain what led to an escalation of the situation. Eyewitnesses saw everything that happened. Mm. These boys were not exchanging fire with anybody. They were actually apprehended by the soldiers. 
Because they were prison. They were not one run away, but the others were sitting there because if I'm doing nothing, I haven't committed an offense and I'm sitting at my base and you are coming, why should I run? But one of them ran. The three that thought that there was nothing wrong with waiting for soldiers to come to them. They got apprehended by the soldiers. Mm. They beat them up. The assemblyman came out and pleaded with the soldiers to, to, to release the boys. They refused. And then ultimately, they shot the boys. Shrag cannot stop. Shrag cannot stop at listening to the soldiers and say since they've denied that's the end of it because no, that, no, 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 that's it, it is investigating. Well, yeah. I'm just telling you that the attitude. All right, all right. Give me the attitude that they will deny even when they have committed the offense. Mm. Even in this instance where publicly admitted, they said they neutralized. They used the word neutralized, mm. and you heard you heard the MP also say that they said oh they five young men who were engaged in the exchanges with them. There's no young man in Boku just face soldiers and be engaged in gunfire exchanges with soldiers. No young man will do that. Because these are professionals. They know how to shoot better than you. So the boys don't engage the soldiers. They don't. It is a lie. But, but, but don't, you, don't you think that you may be assuming too much when you say no young man, you know, with such, you know, completeness, uh, particularly where we are told again about how even, is it a bomb or so was planted by ordinary people in the same area? So some young men may be capable of doing what you may not be able to imagine. Let me tell you something. If the young men engaged the soldiers, I will know. And I'm telling you that they did not engage the soldiers. I will know. And I will not go public and attack the military when I know that the boys are wrong. Mm. I've not done that before. Okay. But when they are wrong, the soldiers are wrong, we need to face them and let them know that we are wrong. Right. We, need them there. we have called for reinforcement. We've called for the military to be brought there. And they have been brought there in response to our own plea. But then, you should not also become the problem. Mm. That is my concern. I'm not, I'm not against the soldiers. Right. But I also will not allow the soldiers to just assume that when they get frustrated, then they should uh, you know, unleash their mayhem on, on the young people. Meanwhile, security expert with the Kofi Annan International Peacekeeping Training Center, Dr. Victor Docker, is calling for a change in approach by the security in dealing with the conflict. And collaboration or coordination between even the state agencies that are on the ground there to ensure peace, i.e. the military, the police, and other state institutions, okay? Now, the resources aren't there to build the capacity to train these servicemen to understand how to relate with conflict access, i.e. the democracies and then the Kusasis, the youth especially. Now, the political will somehow is lacking. We need to ensure that there's a political will to 
invest the resources needed, involve the CSOs to come in. There are NGOs on the ground there. Most of the times you don't even hear about these NGOs except when there is a meeting, bilateral consultations that we are invited. But when you go to the ground, you need these NGOs to also be part of you to ensure your engagement with the community is there. We don't have the sustained engagement going in. Every time we start a process, then we lay back, thinking that when we send the soldiers there to separate the two sides from clashing, then that is it. But you still hear sporadic shootings. That tells you that the guns are still in the system. I'm told that shooting. I'm told the shooting is a daily occurrence, really. It is. It is. And from my research there some time ago, look, these youths have the weapons because one of the mistrust between the two of them. They do not know when the either side... But, 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 but look, is it not surprising for a militarized zone like this? How do the weapons get in there when they are searching every week or two weeks to retrieve uh, weapons? Right, Samson, you raise a very pertinent issue. The aspect of having the military all over the town, but still you hear shootings. And that tells you that how many uniform may be lacking some essential strategy. That is what I raised the issue of the collaboration with the NGOs. The field building organizations over there know a lot about the grounds. They have interacted with the youth. These are the youth who are carrying the weapons. Don't forget we have the poorest borders here. Okay? That also contributes to the inflow of these weapons. We have kinsmen sitting in Accra sponsoring these young guys with other resources, funds, and the weapons. It is a fact. We cannot run away from it. Meanwhile, member of the Parliament's Constitutional Legal Affairs Committee, Roxy Nelson Dafamoko, says there must be punishment for those responsible for the three persons who died whilst in custody of the military. We have a national security strategy document. If you read it, Boku features in it prominently. And the strategies drawn by the national security apparatus to deal with the problem. So I am surprised even with all the strategies outlined in the document to dealing with the issues, we still have this problem. Mm. Why? Because there are no consequences arising when people commit crimes or offenses or commit acts that ought to be punished. All right. There are simply no consequences. These are extrajudicial killings. Before I go here, I had read... The Honorable Mama Yaga has put out a statement. Are you not also falling into that no, error? No, no, no. See, these are extrajudicial killings. Yes, but it is. But it is. Otherwise, you can get killed. I can get killed and nothing happens. There has to be consequences. See, we want to create some, a situation. Some, someone will tell you that this is literally a war zone. It is not. <laughs> it is not. We have crisis. But it hasn't degenerated to one of war. Every home has guns hoarded. They can't find them but when they go there. Why are we spending millions, millions of our state funds on security personnel to deal with the issue? Away from Boku conflict, the tertiary students wing of the National Democratic Congress at the KNUSD has decried the financial burden imposed on students by the current economic challenges of the country. The group says the imposition of the IMF conditionalities, introduction of new taxes and looming freeze on employment makes life unbearable for the youth. Clinton Yabua has more in this report. 
The Tertiary Education Institutions Network of NDC has touted the viability of NDC flag bearer John Mahama's proposed 24-hour economy policy. They believe the policy will alleviate the youth from unemployment and create a more conducive space for youth entrepreneurship and financial independence. President Samuel Abuchi addressed the press conference on the restoration of students' hope through the 24-hour economy policy. The lack of capital and resources makes it nearly impossible for graduate, young graduates to embark on entrepreneurial ventures, thus rendering the 24-hour economy a potential game-changer in their destiny. I call on the entire student body to support His Excellency John Dramani Mohammed's 24-hour economy. The vision of 24-hour economy to provide which holds the promise of creating a conducive environment for jobs, job creation, innovation, and economic growth, thereby restoring the hope for our students and the youth at large. As we look towards the future, let us rally behind the vision of His Excellency John Dramani Mahama and the NDC who have demonstrated a genuine commitment to empowering our youth and restoring hope in the face of adversity. It is time for us to stand united in our pursuit of a better tomorrow, one that is built on the principle of inclusivity, opportunity, and progress. The 24-hour economy will primarily not, but not exclusively, focus on 24 agro-processing, 24 mass pharmaceutical industry, 24 manufacturing industry, 24 construction, 24-hour extractive industry, 24-hour sanitation and waste management, 24-hour leisure and hospitality industry, 24-hour digital setup and business processing outsourcing, 24-hour financial services, 24-hour retail center, 24-hour transport services. Also, selected public institutions with large customer traffic, such as the port and harbor, customs, uh, passport office, DVLA, among others, will be part of the 24-hour economy. Deputy Employment and Labor Relations Minister Bright Wekubobe has stressed the need for people in privileged positions in the country to use their resources at their disposal to support community development, according to the MP for Chifohiman Lower Dentra. Such a move will complement government's effort at developing the country. He was speaking after handing over bungalows for teachers and other educational and health facilities for the people of his constituency. More in this report. As part of my campaign, I went to meet the teachers and staff of Jokwa Secondary, and I met the chiefs and elders. One of the key challenges was the issue of accommodation for teachers. So I, I promised them that in my own small way, I will try and assist. Today, we have a six self-contained unit teachers' accommodation for Jokwa Secondary School. MP for Chifuhiman Lower Dentra, Bright Rekudrobe, explaining the need for people who have resources at their disposal to use them to further the development of communities. Uh, a population of 1,300. And as we speak, they have only about five or so teachers 
living with them. That's not good enough. With this addition, more teachers will be accommodated on campus and they can support and assist them with academic work, with whatever that they have out of the normal school hours. From handing over of bungalows for the Jukwa Senior High School, where many of the teachers were facing accommodation issues, to cutting a sort for the construction of a pediatric health facility at Jukwa, Bright Rekubrobe believes once he represents the people, their needs are his needs. He says the construction of the health facility is beginning with an amount of 1 million Ghana cities. must emphasize that this is not a common fund project. It is in support of Nane Kufuado and what he has done. So putting me in a privileged position, a deputy minister and an MP, whatever resources that I get, I should think of my people. And that's why we did that. Coming to this facility, I also spoke to the health stakeholders. I have visited here personally. Already I have a maternity ward. Uh, to my credit and then I was also told that now accommodation is acute for people that come on admission Headmistress of Jokwa Senior High School Dorothy Mensa praised the MP for his intervention The school has made significant ground growth with facilities to accommodate students in the boarding house we currently have over 800 out of the 1,300 students in the boarding house. The situation calls for proper supervision by staff. Unfortunately, due to inadequate staff accommodation, the school has less than 10 resident teachers. This has affected supervision and monitoring of academic and domestic life. District Director of Education Lucy Jacinta in cancer implored on the school to maintain the facility so as to attract other support from other people. The construction of the pediatric health facility at Jokwa has received huge commendations from the district health directorates. Dr. Sali Fubawa is the District Director of Health Services. This is a very big project, it's an important project because we know that children are vulnerable, vulnerable group of uh, people, um, their immune system is lower. So sometimes when you put them together with the older people, they are at risk. So once we have a place for them, it means that we can focus and have good care for them. This place will also be good because then nurses and other health staff who come around and want to be trained, they now can be trained in children care and, and all that. The MP about a month ago also handed over a new police station to the people of Jokwa to improve the security situation there. Abdallah Osman's report read to you. Now, there is a growing pressure on government to suspend the collection of levies into the COVID-19 recovery levy into a special fund that will help the country prepare for health emergencies. The call follows significant decline in the spread of COVID-19 virus in Ghana and the declaration of the end of the pandemic in Ghana. More in the following reports. At the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2021, government imposed a special levy known as the COVID-19 Health Recovery Levy on the supply of goods and services and imports to raise revenue to support COVID-19-related expenditure. 
As COVID-19 fades away, government has declared it is no longer a public health emergency, requiring less investment now. This is why various actors within the health space have come together to demand that attention be now shifted from COVID-19 to preparation for future pandemics. Leading this charge is the NGO, Hope for the Future Generation. Cecilia Senu is the CEO. What we are advocating for is that health is important. We all know that COVID-19 is no more public health emergency. And so it's appropriate that the government converts this to strengthen health and invest more in health to achieve the domestic resources and then the Abuja declaration for 15 percent for health because as it stands now Ghana has not achieved it many African countries have not and I think it will be good for this country to convert the COVID-19 levy into health to strengthen our health systems especially immunization and other public health emergencies also supporting the call is the Ghana Medical Association Dr. Richard Salome is the vice president of the association. For us, we are happy to hear. It's something we also, our president, uh, Dr. Frank Shibo, mentioned in one of our public lectures about what to do with the COVID-19 levy. Uh, The pandemic is essentially gone, even though we might still be monitoring for it. And so that levy must be repurposed for something. And we believe that if it's repurposed, to protect our children especially, as well as to manage other health emergencies. Since we've seen even recent times the disaster due to the flooding and coal, we think that this will serve a better purpose. And we are willing to support that advocacy to ensure that those funding sources are repurposed to and ring-fenced, because often when it gets into the general pool, uh, it becomes like sugar in water. You can't find it anymore. Member of the Health Committee of Parliament and MP for Tichiman North constituency, Elizabeth Ofusu Ejari, says the committee has started debates and considerations to compel the government to rechannel the COVID-19 levy to other health-related issues. I heard all the arguments about COVID levy. If you listen to our arguments, uh, this budget debate, Personally, I debated on the COVID level, and I'm of the opinion, like I've shared, that COVID is almost over. The monies are still collected. These monies should be channeled towards our health needs. Even though 